The show you love with even more local news and more local talk. The voice of the valley. The Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5. On air and online. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here's your host, Mike Douglas. And welcome to the Mike Douglas Show this Tuesday afternoon on a warmish summer afternoon here in California's Central Valley. Mike Douglas with you, your concierge for conversation as we take a look at the issues of the day that affect you and me right here in California's Central Valley, looking at our countdown to November 8th. Uh, the midterm election day, it is 84 days and counting. And by my calculation, that also equates to 2016 hours, 120,960 minutes and 7,250,000 seconds, which means we have that amount of time to give you as much information as we can so you can be an informed, educated and rational voter come November 8, 2020. 22. And as part of that effort today, uh, we have the pleasure of uh, welcoming to the Mike Douglas Show Congressman Josh Harder of California's District 10. He's also a, a candidate for uh, District 9. Uh, welcome, uh, Congressman Harder. Great to have you with us. And uh, how's the new dad doing? You, you getting some good sleep? Uh, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, luckily, my baby daughter, Lily, is now five months old, so we're getting lots of smiles and giggles, and I think that more than makes up for all the crazy diaper shenanigans and uh, and lost sleep. So it's been a joy. Yeah, if you have I, any parenting tips, I'm all ears. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful journey. Uh, congratulations to you. So as we look at today, we have the uh, Inflation uh, Relief Act. We have... Uh, Apparently, uh, as part of that, 87,000 more IRS agents. We have the drought, 8.5% inflation, people upset over the FBI, warrants served on Mar-a-Lago, grocery costs are up, crime seems rampant, there's homeless uh, dilemmas that we're still dealing with. A guy named Anthony uh, is uh, did unspeakable things to a Uh, 16-year-old foster child. He's up for parole. What would you like to take on first today, Congressman? (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot going on. Yeah, I'll I'll defer to you. Where do you you want to start? Let's start. I I guess I'll just start by saying what I think is the the biggest issue that's facing us across the Central Valley today, which is inflation. Uh, that's top of mind to me, and that's even before I started, you know, paying as much as I'm paying for diapers today. Uh, prices are just going through the roof. It's a big problem for every family, uh, and we've got to do something about it. And so that's why I think this inflation bill is so important. It's going to help us lower the cost of prescription drugs, lower the price people are paying at the pump, uh, make sure we're lowering the price for, for health insurance premiums, saving folks 800 bucks a, a year if they're buying Uncovered California. Um, and, you know, whatever doubt folks have about, you know, this or, or other things, I think this is the most important problem that we could be focusing on because it's at the root of so many of the challenges I think we're dealing with as a region today. Well, there's uh, been a lot of analysis that's saying uh, a lot of those uh, intended benefits may not kick in uh, for quite a while. What, what's your take on that? How soon do you yeah. think people would see the results of this bill if, in fact, that's, that's what it creates? 
some of it's going to take some time, um, but I think this is the start of some great things left to come. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about one thing, which is the cap that's on, on paying for insulin. Uh, my dad's an optometrist, and he has a lot of folks who are dealing with diabetes, untreated diabetes, coming through his office, people that lose their vision, even go blind. The health complications that we've seen in the Central Valley from diabetes is enormous, and many people can't afford the cost of their prescription medication. And so one of the things that this effort does it's really important to me personally, is it caps the price of insulin at $35 for everybody on Medicare. It also caps all uh, of Medicare out-of-pocket prescription drugs at $2,000 per year. 2000 bucks is still a lot, but it's a fraction of what some of our seniors are paying for right now. That's provision that's going to take a, a year or two or a couple years to, to go into effect, but it's going to be a huge lifeline to the seniors in the Valley when it does. Been a lot of uh, discussion and, and debate over whether people or families making less than four hundred thousand dollars a year will be uh, unduly affected by this bill. What's your take on that? What's your read on how it's going to affect in terms of taxes the middle class that's below four hundred thousand a year? Absolutely, I, I don't support any tax. Uh, being raised on folks making less than 400000 People are stretched thin enough already, uh, especially in a region like ours. What this bill does do uh, is it's going to raise taxes on the largest corporations in America that are earning over a billion dollars in profits and pay less than 15% of that in taxes. So these are companies like Amazon or Apple, uh, which are getting away right now with paying almost nothing in federal taxes. And that has two problems. One is it's just not fair. Uh, it's not fair for them to be paying a lot less in taxes than even I'm paying as a private citizen or the owner of a small business in our region. But it also means that we're paying effectively more taxes. Uh, and so if we actually make sure that these largest corporations in our country pay their fair share, they pay even less now than what a small business owner pays anywhere across our community. And if they do pay their fair share, uh, then I think that's going to enable us to make sure there's a level playing field for everybody. And how do you, how will the bill affect the, the small businessman, the uh, small business woman, do you think? I don't think it's going to affect them at all. This bill is only uh, going to change taxes. It's going to create a 15% minimum tax rate for only businesses that are making over $1 billion in profits and pay less than that 15% already. A lot of the big businesses in America pay uh, at least 15% in tax already. But if they don't, again, folks like Amazon and Apple that pay next to nothing in federal taxes, then they're going to have to pay 15% of their profit in taxes. But for small business owners, if you make less than a billion dollars in profit, which is, as far as I know, every small business owner across our region, uh, then those taxes won't be won't be changed. Looking uh, down the line a little bit, can you clarify for us this issue of the eighty-seven thousand new IRS agents? I, I don't. I'm not yeah. excited about that. How do you feel about it? <laughs> I, I've heard a lot of concern from folks about what this is going to mean. Uh, I think the most important thing to, to note is that these are folks that are going to make sure that we get the money that's owed to us. Their first job is going to be dealing with the more than 10 million unprocessed tax returns across the country. Uh, let me tell you, this is the most frequent call that I get into my office. 
is about, you know, why is it taking so long for me to get my tax refund back? And the answer is there aren't enough IRS agents today that are processing those returns. A lot of them are still in the, you know, pen and paper era, the horse and buggy era. They haven't quite made it to the technology advancements that you see in most private companies. And, you know, that's a big problem when people are waiting months, if not, you know, a year to actually get their tax return processed. The second thing that these folks are going to be doing is making sure that people that owe taxes are paying taxes. Uh, and again, I, I think I, I believe that that's an important value because I make sure that I pay the taxes that I'm owed. And if somebody else is, is paying free, is evading taxes, then you know I think that may, we should make sure that again there's that level playing field for everybody, not just for fairness, but to make sure that we are getting the best bang for our bucks as taxpayers. Well, what? Then I'll just give you a, a personal reaction. There and, and by the way, what, and I have to say this: when I've dealt with the IRS, and I've dealt with the IRS as a nonprofit CEO, I've also dealt with the IRS as a citizen. And I do have to say, to their credit, I have always, always had a very cordial and uh, very decent conversation. Uh, however, that said, and, and we'll move on from this, but, but that said, I have never had an IRS agent help me get more money back. It, it's been the <laughs> other way. They've discovered uh, other ways where they have found I should owe more. But anyway, that, that being that. Uh, but, 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 Mike, I'll, I'll just say, just one, one point on that, 10 million unprocessed tax returns across America right now. Those are people who are owed that tax refund. That's money that they paid in taxes, but they overpaid and is due back to them as soon as that tax return is processed. And I think making sure that we have enough folks to process those tax returns as quickly as possible enables to make sure that you are getting the money that is owed to you by the federal government into your pocket as soon as we can. Well, you, you make a good argument for that. I have to confess I'm still not sold on 87,000 more of them. To, uh, but, <laughs> but you make a good argument. I, I acknowledge that. Let, <laughs> let me, uh, let's go to the phones very quickly. Uh, quick call from Mike from uh, LaGrange. You have a question for Congressman Josh Harder. Oh, boy, do I. Hey, Josh, you're a tough guy to get a hold of. You, don't never, you never return an email or anything. I have a few questions for you. Um, why would you vote to, for all those IRS agents, and why would you vote to raise taxes? And I don't care what you say. It's more than 400000 It's less than 400000 They're going to be coming after everybody. And we've seen that the, the Democratic Party has weaponized the FBI, the Justice Department. And why do you always wear fake uh, overalls in your picture you've never farmed a day in your life you've never ranched a day in your life if you have come on out with me i'll show you how it's really done because you don't have a clue <laughs> on this and that really really irks me to see you dress like you're a, a working man when you wear skinny pants and never been out have you have you ever have you ever even dri driven a tractor and tell me what kind of tractor have you driven i, I appreciate the question and thank you for for calling in uh, a couple things on that. I come from a long line of farmers, as I said. My great-grandfather started a peach farm in Manteca in 1850, uh, and that's something that we focused on a lot in office, making sure that our farmers have the water, the resources that they have. But I hear 
your concerns both on raising taxes and on the number of IRS agents that are going out there. And I, I hear you. And, um, you know, the first thing I'd say is that this bill is laser-focused on corporations that make more than a billion dollars in profits. Uh, there are not a lot of small businesses in the Central Valley that don't do that. Uh, and if there are, you know, folks in the Central Valley that are making over a billion dollars in profits and aren't paying at least 15 percent and federal income tax, I think they should. Um, you know, I pay as an individual more than 15% in federal income tax. But small business owners that I know pay more than 15%. And I think making sure that everybody is paying their fair share, make sure that that tax rate is as low as it can be for each and every one of us. Uh, and the abusers on this are not farmers. It's not folks in our area. It's the largest corporations in America, folks like, you know, giant companies like Amazon and Apple that are paying zero dollars or less in federal income taxes while you or I pay 30 percent. And I, I don't think that makes uh, a lot of sense. So don't, don't take my word for it. The Tax Policy Center said if you're not a tax chief, you're not a hedge fund manager, you're not a corporation, then you're not affected by this bill. Um, and if that turns out not to be right, then we're going to have to make sure that we get more attention paid to that. But I think so far, that's what the letter of the law actually says, and we're going to have to make sure that the implementation follows that. Um, on the IRS agents, I, I hear some concerns as, uh, as well, and I'll just say what I said uh, to Mike, which is the number one job that these people need to have is making sure that those unprocessed tax returns are processed as soon as possible. This is money that you and I are owed. Uh, we are owed by the federal government um, these money in our tax returns, and we have to make sure that we're paying, getting it paid back. The best way to do that is making sure that we have enough folks to man the phones uh, and uh, ensure that those paper returns are processed as soon as possible. All right, Mike, thanks for your call. Mike from LaGrange, uh, our guest right now, Congressman Josh Harder, currently serving California District 10. He'll be running or is running uh, as a candidate for California District 9. Uh, Josh Harder, before, and I know we've got a limited time with you, I do want to get your feedback on the FBI warrant that was served on Mar-a-Lago. A lot of our listeners not real happy with that. They're worried about the FBI being used in an inappropriate way. Uh, what, what What's your reaction to what went down a week ago Monday? Uh, well, I think, frankly, we still don't have all the information. Uh, I think the warrant has been unsealed and released, but I think there's uh, a lot of information left that we're going to have to wait and see how this actually ends up. If it's clear that there was a crime that was committed, uh, then there needs to be accountability for that, either by the FBI or by former President Trump. Um, I do trust our federal law enforcement to do their job correctly. I think these folks put their life on the line in uniform every single day, making sure that we're saving our community. And if it turns out that they overstretch, there should be accountability for that. But I think so far we haven't seen any evidence, and I'd, I'd encourage folks to take a look at the warrant um, that was uh, that was that was unsealed, and, and judge for themselves. Um, you know, make sure you're informing yourself, read the facts, and, and see what you think. Yeah, I think uh, one of the keys to that will be seeing the affidavit 
the warrant is one thing, which is pretty mm-hmm. general, but it's the affidavit that really will give us uh, the details on what they were looking for. And, and again, you know, questions crop up. If it was a general warrant, uh, we're, we're not sure that that was appropriate. And, of course, taking the passports, I guess those are being returned. So a lot of questions uh, still remain uh, uh, about that particular uh, operation by the FBI. I know we've got you for a limited time. Uh, let me, uh, well, let's take a question very, very quickly. Uh, this is Jerry from Modesto. Uh, Jerry, very quickly, what's your uh, question for the congressman? Well, why do the IRS uh, agents have to be armed? Great question, Jerry, and I think many of them don't. I think there's some misinformation out there, and some folks have this sense that there's going to be this army of tax agents with, like, you know, M16 coming up to people's doors. That, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, there's, this is going to be uh, the vast majority of folks are going to be, you know, behind the desk making sure that tax returns are being processed, making sure that um, folks who are evading taxes are being held uh, accountable for that. But you know, these guys also go after bad guys. They go after folks that um, have have broken the law and, um, you know, a small section, a very small section uh, of IRS agents are armed. But um, I, I don't think that's really going to be changed. And, again, the thrust of what these folks are going to be focused on is going to be making sure that those tax returns end up uh, in, the, in the right place. And that's a job that requires a computer, not a rifle. Again, our guest, Congressman Josh Harder. And, by the way, uh, Congressman, thank you for being willing to uh, to field these calls. Uh, got another one here from John from Brentwood. John, uh, very quickly, your question for Congressman Harder. Yeah, um, all this double talk about uh, some of it's going to take some time to take effect, and it's not going to raise taxes on you. It's going to raise taxes on a lot of people, which in turn is going to raise prices, which in turn is going to hit everybody. And as far as the warrant on Trump, why is there no warrant on on Hunter Biden. The FBI has had his laptop for almost four years and nothing has been done. And we know it's because Joe Biden is implicated in the whole thing and he's the president and we're keeping the big hush hush. And you can double talk and triple talk and goobly goobly all you want. A lot of us out here and know the story that's going on and we don't trust any of you. So that's all I got to say. All right, let's, uh, Congressman, your response. Goobly, goobly, yeah. by the way, is a theological term. I didn't know if you <laughs> knew that or not, but uh, l- let's offer right. you the opportunity to respond yeah. there. Uh, no, look, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not responsible for all that. I, I totally agree that we have, uh, in general, there's been a loss of trust and confidence in the system. I'll just go back to this basic point, which is I trust our law enforcement to make the right call here. I don't have all the information that they do. Uh, I have not seen what judges have seen in these particular cases. I'm not making the call, and I don't think it should be a political call. I think the best thing that we can do is try to take the politics out of this question, out of any question, whenever the law is broken, and try to make sure that it is in the hands of a prosecutor, uh, a, a law enforcement officer, and a judge who are focused on what the Constitution says and what the letter of the law is and not based on anybody's political shenanigans. And, um, you know, that's, that's my focus and what I believe we should be doing. There's a quote from uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz who, who says, I am a liberal Democrat, but he says, I have never put party over principle. And I think that's what a lot of folks are looking for is uh, less of the party uh, politics uh, and, and more of elevating principle. 
uh, over politics, if if that's achievable. Uh, Congressman Josh Harder, let's take one more call. Think we can squeeze it in. Uh, this from Nick from Modesto. Nick, your question for the congressman. Uh, yes, uh, before I give you my comment, uh, Will Rogers once said, income taxes made more liars out of American people than golf. <laughs> That's a, <laughs> anyway, uh, I, uh, listen, I, oh, okay. I voted uh, when, <laughs> uh, in the first time around when uh, Josh ran for Congress, I actually voted for uh, Jeff Denham. After the election some months later, I get a call from Congressman uh, Harder and asking about policy issues in my industry. And I can honestly say that this young man here has has submitted probably the most bipartisan legislation and is a good listener uh, to the people in, in this district, especially on water issues. And I will tell you, he is the first person I've ever donated the maximum you can to a politician and voted against him in that same election. So uh, I know a lot of people are calling and beating up, but this is actually a very good congressman in our area. He's, he listens to all people in his district, and he puts the voters of people in, in his district first. He doesn't play these games, uh, uh, partisan games. You know, we're not Republican or Democrat. We're all Americans. So I'm going to stand up for Josh, even though I voted against him the first time around. All right, thank you. Uh, did you have a question? Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. And Nick, we got no, about I, I a, a, got about a minute. Questions. I... If you have a question, we have I'll about a minute, you, Nick. No, no worries. I, I think you need a thick skin for this uh, for this industry. And uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna vote, then you should be able to explain it. Uh, and I, I believe that, and I'm more than happy to to be hanging out with folks, even if they didn't vote for me, to try to make sure that we are uh, explaining what's going on, and, and getting feedback from, from folks, which is really helpful. But I appreciate the, the comment you said. The only thing I'll, I'll, I'll just end with is a good example of, of what we're talking about when we're talking about bipartisanship, which is another bill that passed last week, which is the PACT Act, which is a bill for veterans. Uh, this is very personal to me. My, my grandpa served two tours in Vietnam and Korea. Um, you know, He was somebody who, whose life was cut short by Agent Orange, and I've made it my, my personal mission to make sure that we're extending health care to the 50,000 Vietnam vets still alive, just like my grandpa, uh, who were exposed uh, to, to Agent Orange, as well as the Iraq and Afghan veterans who are, uh, you know, even some that are just coming back now who are exposed to some of the toxins in the burn pits uh, over, over, over in the Middle East. And so uh, this bill was supported by Republicans and Democrats. And so I know this is a time when our political temperatures are high, when people feel like, um, you know, everything is just folks screaming at each other on, on cable news. I'll just offer this as, a, as something that happened a couple of days ago that I think is going to really benefit our community. Uh, it's going to really benefit the veterans. And it was the product of bipartisanship working right. Uh, and as the product of a lot of folks in the Valley, a lot of our Valley veterans were involved in this, folks like Joshua Melendez uh, from Tracy, who served in Vietnam, spent time on helicopters, uh, who is suffering from bladder cancer today. And this bill uh, is helping folks just like him. So if you love a veteran, if you know a veteran, you can go to va.gov slash PACT, P-A-C-T, today. You can read a list of conditions. You can file a claim uh, for folks that are affected by burn pits or Agent Orange that are covered right now. Um, and I wish we could see a lot more of that. I, Great. I Congressman, thanks so much. So we got to go. Thanks so much for you. spending time with us today. Mike Douglas Show continues in five minutes. Thanks, so. 
The Mike Douglas Show. Now, weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. You're listening to The Mike Douglas Show, the voice of the Valley. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to The Mike Douglas Show. Mike Douglas here, your concierge for conversation here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Quite a conversation there with Congressman Josh Harder. And again, uh, the, the point of inviting folks in, especially uh, politicians and those who are in office, those who are running for office, is to let you hear them respond to the issues. And that way you can make an informed vote, an educated vote, uh, come the next election. In this case, 84 days away on November 8, 2022. I know some of you uh, were not able to uh, get uh, your questions on. We just had a limited amount of time with Congressman Josh Harder. If, you, uh, if you'd like to respond and didn't uh, have time to call in, our number here, 209-551-3483, 209-551-3483. Let's start with Pete from Stockton. Hi, Pete. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind? Well, Mr. Douglas, thank you for taking my call, first of all. Uh, I've been voting for over 50-plus years, and I've been hearing this uh, statement all the time, fair share. And, I mean, you know, some people make a few dollars an hour, and some make many dollars an hour. And a fair share is what you pay a percentage of what you make, not because you make less or more or you pay more. So, I mean, if you want a fair share, Everybody pays 5%, 10%, 15%, and everybody's paying their fair share. And that's how I feel about it, you know. So if you're going to use the word fair share, be fair and charge everybody the same. Thank you very much. Yeah, Pete, I think uh, I, I resonate with what you're saying. I think basically the definition of fair share is the other guy has to pay it. That's fair share. If somebody else is paying the share. Uh, and it, it, it's almost, uh, to me, it almost is like Robin Hood robbing the rich uh, to give to the poor. Uh, it, it's, uh, I, I agree with you, it's a hackneyed phrase. I'm not sure it really resonates with people anymore, but uh, I got what you're saying, and, and I happen to, uh, to agree with your perspective on that. Thank you very much for your time. All right, Pete, thanks for the call. Pete from Stockton, our number here, 209 551 Three four eight three. Uh, the fair share. Pete brought up a great point. This is uh, this is one of those phrases, catchphrases that is so popular. And what does it really mean? So people who are successful, corporations that are very successful, they ought to pay uh, more than other people have to pay in terms of ratios and such, and, and such because they're successful. Uh, I, I am all for, a, I, I like the idea of a flat tax. I think our, our tax code, both in the state and, and uh, the federal government, has become so overwhelmingly long and convoluted. I don't, I don't know how we can possibly navigate them uh, that I've we resorted to using an accountant uh, f- many years ago, and uh, we really have to rely upon them. And and the I think the bottom line is, with the extra eighty seven thousand IRS agents, 
is they will find a way, always find a way, if they think you should pay more, they will find a way to justify you paying more. That's that's what I've found. Uh, we have done our level best to to pay what uh, our accountant feels we owe, what we personally feel we owe, and I, I can't count how many times the IRS has come back and said, Nah, we think you uh, owe this much more. And uh, how do you fight that? You're, I can't afford attorneys like a lot of wealthy people can. And so what it amounts to, there's now 87,000 more IRA, IRS agents in my mind. And I, I understand what uh, Congressman Harder was saying. He feels that they're, they're really there to help people with... Uh, tax returns that haven't been processed yet. Uh, and I, I admire his positivity on that. I look at it uh, with a, a nuanced and somewhat uh, jaded eye that I don't think any of those 87,000 additional IRS agents are there to help me out. I think they're there to justify their... Uh, and I, I'm probably setting myself up for an audit here, but my suspicion is they're there to justify their... Uh, what was it, $80 billion that goes into that? So anyway, good point, Pete. Thanks for your call uh, regarding uh, the issue of fair share and such. I, uh, I, I don't know that there is such a thing as a fair share. Well, what, what's fair? And, and who determines what's fair? And then you look at the way, well, let's say we, we say, we agree that, yeah, the, the big companies that make a lot of money, they need to pay more. Well, guess who winds up paying that? Well, probably you and me, because they're, they're going to raise their rates or their costs or whatever, and uh, you and I are going to wind up paying more. Again, I, uh, I understand the congressman's perspective. I'm just very doubtful that any of those 87,000 are going to help me uh, get any money back. I suspect it's going to be the other way around. What do you think? 209-551-3483, our number, 209-551-3483. Uh, in a couple moments, I want to focus upon First Amendment rights the freedom of speech, and how that is a deteriorating principle in American politics these days. I, uh, I'm, I'm uh, constantly, I'm seeing violations of that, both on the state and federal level. I see the mass media infringing, not doing, A, not doing their job in terms of being members of the fourth estate, and that being in an adversarial role with government, not meaning that they're there to uh, tear down government or they're there to be antagonistic, but the adversarial role that the press needs to play in not accepting what's said and not being a mouthpiece for the government. That's not what First Amendment rights uh, are all about at all, nor freedom of the press. Uh, and so we'll be talking about that in uh, in just a couple of minutes, as well as uh, some other issues, I think, that 
uh, you might be interested in, in well, a school board in North Dakota. This is interesting. Uh, removing under God from the Pledge of Allegiance. I'd be interested in your take on that. Before we go there, though, let's go back to the phones, 209-551-3483, uh, getting your reactions to our, con- our conversation with Congressman Josh Harder. Let's go to uh, Milton from Atwater. Milton, welcome. Uh, what's on your mind? Thank you, and I appreciate what you do, and thank you for taking my call. I think that uh, conversation with Mr. Harder was extremely telling. Anyone that would uh, try to convince the public that those thousands of IRS agents are for our benefit and seriously try and get us to believe it, to believe that is obviously selling a lie. Um, anyone that would think that raising the taxes on the big corporations isn't going to trickle down to my pocket and your pocket is also selling a lie. Anyone that would think that the FBI is an agency to be trusted, that's not a person to be trusted. I think uh, that interview with Mr. Harder was very telling, very informative, and anyone with any perspective could see that uh, that's a person that you wouldn't want to vote for. Again, I appreciate your, your time and taking my call. Absolutely, Milton. Appreciate your comments. Thank you very much. And, Milton, that's part of what we will continue to do. Uh, is we invite candidates, we invite elected officials, regardless of which side of their uh, aisle that they're on, to come on the show and be interviewed and to tell us what they think. Because in that process, you are able to make up your own mind about who you're going to vote for, why or why not. So uh, we appreciate that affirmation, Milton, and we will continue to do that as especially as we get closer to election time. Another thing I appreciate, and that's honesty and integrity, and I see that in a friend of ours named Dan Phipps. Rising interest rates are slowing home price growth, but you can still get top dollar for your home right now with Dan Phipps. Now, maybe you want to move closer to work, but think, "Ah, I can't afford it. Well, then call the agent I trust. Call Dan Phipps. Dan guarantees multiple offers in 72 hours for full market value, or he'll sell it for free. He'll maximize your sales price, putting you in complete control, even uh, possibly finding you a new home before you move. Carrie in Oakdale was moving out of state for a job and needed to sell quickly to avoid having two mortgages. Oh, boy. Well, Dan handled everything while she was away from doing staging to open houses, and Dan sold it in a few days for almost $50,000 more than expected. Carrie says Dan's the man. Well, I agree. Dan is the man, so call him. He's the man I recommend. Guarantees multiple offers in 72 hours or the property. Your home is sold free. Call Dan Phipps, 209-593-1111, or go to danphipps.com. That's Dan Phipps with three Ps, D-A-N-P-H-I-P-P-S.com. And we'll continue reactions to our interview with uh, Josh Harder, and we'll talk about the First Amendment and how we see the deterioration of a commitment to the First Amendment, freedom of the press, freedom of speech, all that coming up in three minutes here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here's more with the voice of the valley, Mike Douglas on Power Talk 1360 KFIV and streamed on the iHeartRadio app. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Thank you for joining us today and uh, appreciate Congressman Josh Harder. 
uh, dropping by and and fielding a a lot of your good questions. And again, I think the value of these interviews is that you then have information from uh, the person that you are going to be voting for or voting against. And the more information that you have, the better. And so we, uh, our commitment to you is to be live and local and to invite these candidates on. And as, as we did last time, when we get closer uh, to November 8, uh, we will be inviting candidates again to call in in a fairly rapid form to say who they are, what they're running for, what office, and why uh, they think you should vote for them. We found that to be very beneficial in the primaries, and we'll be doing that again as we get uh, closer to November 8, which is a mere 84 days away. In a a bit, we're going to be talking about uh, some interesting developments with Senator Tim Scott out of South Carolina and uh, and talking about the press in general. And remember, my bachelor's of arts degree was in broadcast journalism, and I took both broadcasting and and print journalism courses from some of the best in, in Southern California. And what I learned there is not what I saw when I tried to go get jobs, frankly, back in uh, the late 70s. And what I learned back then is certainly, for the most part, not what I see in terms of uh, journalism today. And uh, this whole issue with Senator Tim Scott, let's let's go there very quickly. Uh, This is very interesting. Uh, Tim Scott... Again, he's a senator from uh, South Carolina. I'm sure you're familiar uh, with him. He was on uh, today, I believe, uh, uh, or maybe it was on August 11th. I may have my uh, dates wrong. He was on, yeah, I believe it was August 11th. Uh, He was on a uh, podcast with a journalist by the name of Barry Weiss, and uh, she was talking about uh, an incident where he had submitted a, uh, an op-ed to the uh, New York Times, and she happened to be at the New York Times at, uh, at, the, uh, at the moment. And he had submitted an op-ed about a bill he was working on called the Justice Act, and it was uh, talking about police reform in the, in the wake of the George Floyd issues. And uh, Scott said the, the bill eventually fell apart because he said the Democrats really wanted the issue more than the solution. Interesting statement. And she said, well, here's what happened. I was at the New York Times, and she said, you and your staff sent in this op-ed about the bill and why it fell apart. He says, and this is the part I'm sure you don't know, speaking to uh, uh, Tim Scott. She said, there was a discussion about the piece and whether or not we should run it. One colleague, a more senior colleague, said to a more junior colleague who was pushing for the piece, do you think the Republicans really care about minority rights. And Tim Scott said to Barry Weiss, wow. And then she said, and the more junior colleague said, I think Tim Scott cares about minority rights. But then the senior colleague said, well, let's check with Senator Chuck Schumer before we run it. And she said the younger colleague refused to do that uh, because uh, the younger colleague thought there were ethical issues involved. And indeed, indeed there were. And so uh, she, she asked 
uh, Tim Scott did Barry Weiss. How do you react to that news that that you're just hearing? And uh, this is uh, his reply, and it's fascinating. Here we go. I, I am disappointed to hear that. I am not surprised to hear that. You have to remember that the Washington Post uh, fact-checked my life. And I can't tell you how disrespectful and dishonoring that entire process was. For went on for three or four months as they went through record to find out whether or not my grandfather actually dropped out of school in the third grade. Their record suggested he dropped out in the fourth grade but still didn't learn to read. They wanted to know if I had somehow hidden my silver spoon and just was using a plastic spoon instead. And the more they dug, the more they realized that there was no evidence that disproved the fact that I am who I say I am and that I experienced what I said I've experienced. So there is something in national media that wants to frame any conservatives, particularly black conservatives, as being disingenuous or insincere or a tool for the conservatives, when in fact the black community is consistently as conservative as any community. Isn't that very interesting? So here we have the New York Times and uh, the the journalist here uh, that Tim Scott was talking to, uh, Barry Weiss, uh, did not name who the people were at the New York Times. But this is just an example. Here we have a, uh, a black Republican, a conservative, who has an op-ed that he has submitted to run uh, in the uh, New York Times, and the senior uh, journalist there who's going to make a decision about putting the op-ed in the paper or not says, well, I don't know, do you think uh, do, do you think Republicans really care about minority rights? And then ultimately he or she, we don't know whether it was a he or she, said, well, we need to check with Chuck Schumer first. I see. So in this case, apparently... The New York Times, and this may not come as a shock to many of you, but this is uh, evidence of the fact that the New York Times is really in bed with the Democratic Party. And they're not going to run an op-ed, apparently, from a Republican, an African-American Republican senator, unless they pass it by Chuck Schumer first. This is journalism. This is why we need to take a look at different sources. This is why we can't rely on any one source. You see, these types of things keep coming to light. And it, for for those folks, and I'm sure you've got some in your spheres of influence, for these folks that are in a bubble and they only listen to one source for their news, that's very dangerous. That That's being an uninformed voter. I, I purposefully look at and listen to and read uh, the editorials and the news pieces from news outlets that I don't particularly trust, but it's important that I get their perspective and that I'm able to put all that into the mix so that I can make a reasonable and informed decision. See, so the New York, New York Times, unbelievable. Do I trust them? Absolutely not. Do I read them? Yeah, it's important. All right, back in five minutes. Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. The show you love. 
Talking about the issues that are important to you. The Voice of the Valley. The Mike Douglas Show. Now, every weekday from 3 till 5. On air and online. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here again is your host, Mike Douglas. And welcome to our number two of the Mike Douglas Show here on this very summerish Tuesday afternoon in California's Central Valley. Uh, triple digit temperatures outside and the topics we're talking about are hot as well at the uh, end of the uh, first hour i squeezed in a story about senator tim scott from south carolina and uh, the new york times basically being a, a a mouthpiece being beholden to the uh, Democratic Party in relation to a decision to run uh, an op-ed from Senator Tim Scott or not. Since we have a little time here at the beginning of the second hour, I want to revisit this because it is so important to think about this, to think through it, to digest it, and realize how biased the New York Times is and how it is, excuse the expression, in bed with the Democratic Party. Now, in order to do this, I I summarized uh, Barry Weiss. She is a a journalist, uh, used to work for the New York Times. Now she has her own podcast. And she was informing Senator Tim Scott about a conversation and incident that took place at the New York Times regarding an op-ed that he had tried to get in some time ago. What I'd like to do is allow you to hear Barry Weiss as she talks to Senator Tim Scott about that particular day. Here's what happened in her own words. I want to tell you a little story that I'm not sure if you know. Yes, ma'am. In 2020, there was a moment after the killing of George Floyd where you were in a very important like poll position to get things done on police reform. And you had this bill that you were proposing and Schumer supported it. I think you even had like Bernie Sanders and Tom Cotton, you'll tell me. But it was like a huge range of people who were supporting this bill at first. And it had things in it like that both sides could get behind. Things like blocking federal money to police departments that didn't ban chokeholds. And basically the bill fell apart because of politics. You could probably tell the story better than I can. Why did the bill fall apart quickly? Uh, The Democrats really wanted the issue more than the solution. Well, here's what happened. I was at the New York Times, and you or your staff sent in an op-ed about the bill and why it fell apart. And this is the part I'm not sure if you know. There was a discussion about the piece and whether or not we should run it. And one colleague, a more senior colleague, said to a more junior colleague who was pushing for the piece... Do you think the Republicans really care about minority rights? Wow. And the more junior colleague said, I think Tim Scott cares about minority rights. And then, and here's the pretty shocking part, the more senior colleague said, let's check with Senator Schumer before we run it. Wow. And the colleague, the younger one, refused because he said, because that colleague said it wasn't an ethical thing to do. Wow. Are you surprised to hear that? Or does that story feel kind of representative of the way the media has treated you and and maybe some of your colleagues? 
I am disappointed to hear that. I am not surprised to hear that. You have to remember that the Washington Post fact-checked my life. And I can't tell you how disrespectful and dishonoring that entire process was. For went on for three or four months as they went through records to find out whether or not my grandfather actually dropped out of school in the third grade. Their records suggest that he dropped out in the fourth grade but still didn't learn to read. They wanted to know if I had somehow hidden my silver spoon and just was using a plastic spoon instead. And the more they dug, the more they realized that there was no evidence that disproved the fact that I am who I say I am and that I experienced what I said I've experienced. So there is something in national media that wants to frame any conservatives, particularly black conservatives, as being disingenuous or insincere or a tool for the conservatives, when in fact the black community is consistently as conservative as any community. Isn't that powerful? Now think about this. Think about if the New York Times is your only source of information. Think about this example now that has come to light. Would you trust the New York Times? Well, probably not if you had this information. But but for many, many people, they don't they don't look for other points of view. They won't hear this interview with Barry Weiss and Senator Tim Scott. By the way, the New York Times has denied this happened. And uh, but there's a source, there's a second source apparently, according to a National Review. Uh, a second source uh, who has knowledge or had knowledge of that particular matter that has backed up Barry Weiss's story. The source also quoted a message sent by a senior editor at the time insisting insisting that the New York Times had to check with Chuck Schumer, even providing the email address of Schumer's press representative at the time. So... When, when people call up and, and they question, well, Mike, you know, why, why, why don't you trust that you're, you're, just, you're, you're just echoing uh, far-right ideals? You only listen to Fox News. No, I don't. I just proved that to you. <laughs> I, I listen to as many different news outlets as possible. I speak what I believe is true after reviewing all of these sources. That's my job. And again, I'm not an, a, a journalist in this role. I'm an opinion person. But I, I, my, my responsibility to you is to research as much as possible and to back up my opinions with as many facts as I can have. And so it depends on who you're, you're talking to, well, you're, you're just far right. Or other people will, will say, well, you're, you're not right enough. I, I really, seriously, I'm not concerned about the labels that people put on me. What I'm concerned about is being accurate, and that's why we look at these various sources. So coming back to the New York Times, my challenge to everyone is not to rely on any one particular source, 
but to check different sources so that we can hear things that we may not hear from the sources that we normally trust. It is so important. But I think it's, it's just absolutely egregious, this example of the New York Times really being in bed with the Democratic Party. They should not be in bed with the Republicans. They should not be in bed with the Democrats. They should not be in bed with any political party. They're supposed to be in an adversarial role with the government. Not so since they decided to go to the government in the person of Chuck Schumer and ask whether or not he would give them permission or or as advice on running that op-ed. As it turns out, the junior junior person at the New York Times, whether it was a he or she, I don't know, but credit them for having some ethics and saying, no, we're not going to do that. And I applaud that. We need more ethics, and we need a press that is in an adversarial role as the fourth estate. And obviously, the New York Times is not in that position, hasn't been in that position for a very long time. All right, uh, let's go very uh, quickly back to our phones, 209-551-3483. Again, we want to give you the opportunity to react with our uh, interview with Congressman Josh Harder uh, during our first hour. So let's go to John from Valley Springs. John, your reaction to what you heard today? Well, thanks, Mike, for taking my call. You're my favorite showman from the first when you study on one hour and then for, forever on, uh, on when you got a second hour, I, I joined and I never want to miss uh, your show. And today I think um, it was just the right moment that I have to call you again because um, this uh, Josh Harder reminds me on uh, Job's first chapter and the sons of God came to present themselves before Jehovah. And Satan also appeared there too, and and I just wanted you did you remind him to do that? Um, I cannot believe um, as soon as I heard him, you know I I came from the communist country uh, country and I uh, I have four uh, four year uni- university degree, and I studied economics there, and I uh, for some um, good reason um, it we were a communist country, but our professor. In, in economics, he was the old-fashioned, and he taught us both the, uh, the, the, the economy of the capitalist system and the economy of the communist system. So I, I know, uh, and I know that the rich corporation never paid the taxes. It was, they always, if, if, if they, uh, if, if they, the, the tax increase on them, they will, they will find a way to, for us to pay. They will raise the price on the products, and we will pay for that. So I was, I was finally, I was kind of disappointed. No one of your uh, callers um, said that and, and asked him about that. Uh, I think he was, he had had a very easy way to go through, and um, I just couldn't believe you gave him so much time on on that, and, and it, I was just disappointed because I, I think he does not deserve uh, uh, to be listened to at all. So, uh, but I appreciate um, giving the opportunity to, 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 to say what I want to say. And uh, I hope that um, 
that other people will understand um, what he was about and, 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 and that we'll have a proper praise and that he will not be chosen. Uh, so thank you very much for uh, giving me a chance. Good. And um, God bless you for, for, for what you do. Thank you, uh, John. I appreciate your call. And, and let me, re- because you, you bring up some an interesting point about why we do and how we do it. And I want to amplify that uh, on that. I, I want to explore that with uh, with our listeners. Uh, you bring up a good point. Uh, why, why did we let uh, Josh Harder go on uh, about certain issues? And I'll answer that. I, I've got to run at the moment, John, but we'll be back in three minutes and we'll address that. Coming up on the Mike Douglas Show, Power Talk 1360, KFIV, back in three minutes. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. 1360 KFIV is your place online. Let's get social with Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. A uh, good question uh, by John, and, and I want to uh, take some time to respond to that. John, because you, you bring up a, a very good point. And part of his quite by the way, and John grew up in a, a communist country, and he's taking a look at what's going on now, and, and so he has a perspective that uh, some of us don't share. We, we may share the conclusion, but he has the, the previous life that makes communism really a dreaded thing. Uh, while so many of our politicians today seem to be fine about careening us uh, towards socialism and communism as well. Uh, my, my approach, and let me just uh, draw the curtain back here and just be very uh, uh, transparent about how I do and why I do what way I do with you on the air. I see my role as being an an arbiter of information, a a broker of information. I need, I feel the need, my mission is to give you as much information as possible about the issues that we have, to give you my opinions on them, absolutely. But when we have people calling in, when we have guests on, my mission there is to give them the latitude to show us their deep thinking. Why do they believe what they believe? Why do they make the decisions they make? Now, there are a couple of ways to approach that. One is, and there are some hosts who do this, and I'm not, this is not a criticism, it's just a different approach. They approach it as a debate, and their mission is to shout down uh, the other person to uh, catch them in, uh, in, in inconsistencies or lies, etc., and uh, basically to win the argument and to shut them down, which is fine. It's very entertaining, and there are people who make way more money than I do because they're very good at that, and uh, I'm sure you could name a few. Some would come uh, to mind. Again, I'm not criticizing that approach. I'm just saying that's not my approach. When I signed on for this assignment over two years ago with iHeartMedia, the deal was, and it was a very simple deal, will you allow me to be me? And iHeartMedia said, yes, we want you to be you. And so what you get is me. I'm not here to try to fit myself into a variety of, of uh, listeners' uh, ideas of what I should be. 
I believe I'm here to be honest with you, to, uh, to be very upfront, and to tell you what I really believe. Now, you may not share that, and that's fine. That's iron sharpening iron. But in terms of having guests on, I want them to talk about why they believe what they believe. If I shut them down, you won't find that out. You'll decide whether or not I won the debate or they won the debate. To me, that's not productive. To me, in terms of fostering informed voters, giving you as much information as I can, whether it's a politician that I agree with, a politician that I don't agree with, and there's none that I 100% agree or don't agree with, it doesn't matter. What I want to do is ask questions and react in a way that will cause them to continue to reveal why they believe what they believe and why they make the decisions that they make. And so once you have that information and you hear the whys, you hear the explanations of why they believe what they believe, you may not agree with it, I may not agree with it, but the value of that time is you now know. You now know why that person believes what they believe or why they vote the way they vote or why they create bills the way they create bills or what their opinions are are uh, on a variety of different issues. So that's my approach. And again, I uh, really, I'm not concerned about what people think of me. If If I was concerned about that, I would turn into a chameleon and I would just uh, blow with the wind. I would stick my finger up into the air, lick it, and stick it up in the air, see which way the listener winds were blowing, and I'd, I'd lean that direction. That's not me. I, I, I believe I need to operate with integrity and with honesty and with transparency. And so while some may say, I don't like your perspective, well, that's okay. I'm being real. And when you call, my mission is to give you the space or to give our guests the space to be real. And and being real does not mean reaching agreement. Being real means that we mix it up together and, and we find out why other people think the way we do. Sometimes it causes me, and and some of you will call, and you'll give me another idea or a a pushback, and what it allows me to do is revisit why I think the way I do. Sometimes it just reinforces my perspective. Other times it causes me to say, hmm, we need to take a look at another side of the coin. I hope that's valuable to you, Uh, just as, as a way of explaining my approach to people I may not disagree with, or I may not agree with, people who I do disagree with. Uh, What I want to know is who they are, why they believe what they believe. And if I shut them down, and if I get into debates and arguments with them, if I try to shut them down and and, uh, overshout them, to me that doesn't benefit you in the least. Uh, You're not here to attend a sporting event, you're here for information. And I'm honored that you're a listener and that you're willing to listen to this show for the information. So I wanted to take this opportunity to let you know that's my approach. 
And that's why I will let people have time to voice opinions that I may disagree with. I may have other questions. I, I, I will, as I often do, will ask another question. Or in, in the case of Josh Harder today, I gave my opinion on the 87,000 IRS agents. Obviously, he and I have a different perspective on that. But that's okay because you know what his perspective is now, whether you agree with it or not. Anyway, I hope that's uh, helpful to you. And we'll continue the conversation here on the Mike Douglas Show in five minutes. Our phone number, 209-551-3483. Talk more about the Fourth Estate Freedom of the Press coming up in five minutes. The Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. A pastor with passion. A minister with manners. Now, back to the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And uh, Caller John, thank you for uh, your observations and your questions. Gave me an opportunity to, uh, to, to just reinforce the fact that I'm not here to be codependent with uh, anyone. I, I am here to be transparent and honest. And that's what you get. That's who I am, what I am, and I do my best to uh, to give you that as I can over the air. And I, I thank you for listening to that and for participating as well. By the way, speaking of participating, uh, just uh, received a, a message from listener Bob, which reminds me that uh, you know, we talked about the various news sources that we need to uh, that we need to consult and think about and absorb in order to come to rational and informed conclusions. Another element, and Bob just brought this up uh, to me, is it's also important to look at congressional and Senate votes. That those are very telling. Check into how does your congressman or congresswoman vote? How does your senator vote? Both in Washington, D.C. and in the, in the State House and the State Senate as well. What's their record of voting? Look for patterns. And that, that research is very, very important. If you have someone who, is, uh, who, who portrays themselves as being uh, a Second Amendment protector and proponent? Well, look at their votes. Are their votes historically in favor of the Second Amendment, in favor of the right to own your own weapons and to have CCW permits? Or have they voted in the direction of taking away your guns? Just as an example. Very, uh, very important to look at those records as well. By the way, I just uh, got this a couple of minutes ago. Uh, the uh, California ISO has issued a statewide flex alert for tomorrow from 4 to 9 p.m. due to excessive heat and high energy demand. And uh, so we're all urged to reduce energy use to protect grid reliability. That's tomorrow from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. right in the middle of our show. So I'm hoping uh, the power stays up. However, we have 
plan B ready. So we're even prepared if something happens to the the power grid as well. All right, we've been uh, talking about uh, Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina and uh, journalist Barry uh, Weiss. And uh, I I think it's very telling how surprised he was at the shenanigans that were going on behind the scenes at the New York Times. And it's just another reveal that we need to be very careful about who we trust and how far we trust them. Is the New York Times trustworthy? I would say probably not. And if you go back in its history, I won't do that. There are other people who've done that very well. If you look at some of Mark Levin's writings, uh, there's uh, there's history there of uh, the New York Times really being on the wrong side of, of world history uh, during its own history. Another um, interview that I'd like to bring to your attention is Alex Berenson. And he was on with uh, Tucker Carlson uh, last night, Monday night. Alex Berenson, as you know, has been kicked off multiple, multiple social social media sources because he questions uh, policies regarding COVID-19. He questions the value of the shot. Again, I don't believe it's a vaccine. It, it's a shot. So let uh, let me give you some of his insights. I think these are these are very good. And it also, just as the New York Times story gave us some insights, uh, this gives us some insights as well into what's happening with social media. So Alex Berenson was uh, interviewed by Tucker Carlson last night. And uh, he has shared internal communications from Twitter that has revealed that the White House inquired of Twitter why Berenson's account had not been banned about a year ago, according to some findings from a lawsuit that he's filed. So Berenson said last month that he and Twitter reached a mutually acceptable resolution that allowed his account to be reinstated. So he previously hinted that the Biden administration may have played a role in deplatforming him from Twitter. Now that's significant. That's government partnering with social media, the fourth estate, journalism to a degree, and and government influencing how media treats free speech. That's verboten, according to the Constitution. Well, one Twitter employee said they had one really tough question about why Alex Berenson hadn't been kicked off the platform. Well, who is they? They is the White House. In another post, a Twitter employee said they really wanted to know about Alex Berenson. Andy Slavitt suggested that they had seen data that showed he was the epicenter epicenter of disinformation that radiated outwards towards persuadable public. Who is Andy Slavitt? He served as the White House COVID advisor until he left the Biden administration in June 2021. So all that to say that uh, a month after that conversation, Twitter placed Berenson on permanent suspension after the White House had that conversation with him. 
And there was an August 2021 tweet that basically benched Berenson from Twitter. And he is saying, look, it doesn't stop infection or transmission. Don't think of it as a vaccine. Well, whether he's right or wrong doesn't matter. Free speech is about being real, not about being right or wrong. That's the value of free speech. All right, let's get to the interview. Let's hear from Alex Berenson. And here's the historical background that led up to this whole issue of, according to him, the White House basically pressuring Twitter to remove him from the platform. Here's his background on it. Here's Alex Berenson. We talked about how the vaccines weren't working very well. Um, It became clear over the summer that the federal government is going to push for mandates. They're going to push for boosters. Those were unpopular steps and a sort of an admission that the vaccines weren't working that well. That was a real problem for the federal government. They didn't like me and they didn't like other skeptics. And Twitter and Facebook and other, you know, those two especially pushed hard to deplatform us. And I think we're going to see exactly how close the communication was. I mean, we've already seen that, but we're going to see a lot more. And how are we going to see that? Well, because Alex Berenson is going to sue the White House. I plan to sue uh, the White House and Andy Slavitt and, you know, probably other officials, too. Um, uh, I'm going to do that as quickly as I can. I told you last year at about this time after Twitter kicked me off um, that I was going to sue Twitter. um, And then I thought I had a pretty good case and people mocked that. Guess what? Um, A federal judge who was appointed by Bill Clinton, by the way, agreed it was a good case. um, And that uh, led to uh, my my being reinstated on Twitter a few weeks ago, um, or Twitter reinstating me, essentially. They were forced to as part of a settlement I reached with Twitter about the case. So I'm going to sue the White House. I think I have proof um, that they did violate my First Amendment rights, uh, that they forced Twitter to act as a state actor, in other words, as, you know, essentially an arm of the federal government, Uh, I have more documents. Um, I obtained these documents as part of a lawsuit. I'm going to have more documents to release soon. Um, But uh, I think what I've already shown is enough that this case will survive a motion to dismiss and we'll get to discovery and depositions. And people inside and outside the White House are going to face some very uncomfortable questions, probably not just about me, but about other people, you know, who've been deplatformed in the last year or two uh, by Twitter. All right, so that's going to be very interesting. Alex Berenson suing the White House because Andy Slavitt, who was part of the White House administration at that time, apparently, according to Alex Berenson, he was involved in approaching Twitter, asking how come Berenson hadn't been deplatformed. And apparently, according to Berenson, after the, shortly after that, he was deplatformed by Twitter. Well, he sued. He uh, has reached an agreement, uh, a settlement with Twitter that allowed him back on. But now he's going to sue the White House. So this will be interesting. So what's the issue here? Do you think the White House should be influencing or dictating to social media what they do, who they have on, and whether or not they allow certain opinions on their platforms? If you're, let's say that you have your own social media company, let's 
call it um, the Truth in Politics platform. And you are the creator of the Truth in Politics platform. And someone comes on your platform with the equivalent of a tweet or a post, and they say something that's not true. Do you think that you ought to kick them off? Or do you think because of First Amendment rights, and this is a free country and we're allowed free speech, that you ought to allow that person to say what they say, even though it may be untrue, so folks can see that they say things that are untrue and allow other folks to push back. I don't understand this. I really don't. Other than we are headed towards what John talked about a couple of minutes ago, a communist socialist environment where we're only allowed to publicly say what the government allows us to say. Is that the kind of country you want to live in? I think we're careening towards it very quickly. And I hope, and it's not just because it's Joe Biden, it's his administration. If it was Donald Trump, it was George Bush, it was Bill Clinton, it would be all the same. Anybody in the White House who tries to censor what's in the press needs to be shut down, and I think they need to be sued, if not prosecuted. What do you think? 209-551-3483. Do you think our federal government right now is out of control in terms of censoring public opinion? We'll be back in three minutes and talk about it. Our number, 209-551-3483. My opinion, it's getting scary. Back in three minutes. He's got issues. Let's talk about it. The Mike Douglas Show, on air and online. Power Talk, 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk, 1360 KFIV. And uh, we've been talking about the fourth estate. We've been talking about the press. And as we've seen now, we have uh, we have two incidents that, that we've seen, both in social media and the print media as well, where the White House, uh, in, in one case, has tried to influence uh, censor and censor public comment from a journalist on, uh, on Twitter. And we've also seen, in, in the case of Tim Scott, uh, how the New York Times uh, thought, well, we need to call uh, Chuck Schumer to make sure that it's okay for us to uh, print this op-ed from uh, Senator Tim Scott. All right, let's go back to the phones again. Uh, you're free to react to the conversation we had earlier with uh, Congressman Josh Harder. Our phone number here, 209-551-3483. Let's go to Mike from Don Pedro. Mike, welcome. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are I heard you comment about it's a free country. And with all due respect to you and other talk show hosts, a lot of people mention that it is not a free country. We pay in taxes at all angles, whether it's property, gas tax, clothing, food. I mean, it's just, it's a taxed country. Unless I guess we're a really, really rich guy and I had my money offshore somewhere, it's just not free or a lot of write-offs. So that's a myth. And as far as freedom of speech, we can thank uh, 
this state, I just moved back to it, my home state, we now have terrorist threat charges, uh, misdemeanor or felony. Uh, if you say something wrong, you're arrested. And then we have the federal government because in 9-11, now if you say something wrong, they're interviewing you or investigating you for being a terrorist. So we live in a very socialized country. It's even actually worse than Italy because in Italy, where I just got back, where my family comes from, it's a lot freer and a lot more carefree in a lot of ways. So, And I lived in Mexico, and I lived pretty free down there. Um, my concern is what's free, and when are we going to stop this myth that it's a free country? Well, I think when we say it's a free country, we're talking about the freedoms that were supposed to be guaranteed in the Constitution and and the Bill of Rights. I agree with you. Uh, We have confiscatory taxation, which was something that our founders were dead set against and, in fact, uh, gave some of them, uh, uh, gave their lives and their fortunes to to combat. And I, I would agree with you that we don't have freedom of the press anymore. And we've just shown two examples of that, that story about uh, uh, the New York Times and, uh, and uh, Senator Scott, and then the other story regarding Alex uh, Berenson and, and Twitter. Uh, the, the issue in my mind is, are we beyond the point of no return? I don't think we are yet. However, I do believe, and I'll, I'll restate this, that come November 2022, a mere 84 days away, it is not a fork in the road, in my opinion, anymore. It's not a tipping point. It, it's a either this country is going to survive, and uh, and slowly revert back to the intent of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, or we're going to careen further into socialism, Marxism, and and communism. So that's uh, that, that's my view of. November 2022. Mike, I'll give you the last word here. Well, I agree with what you're saying. I think we need to get back to the basics of how this country was founded and set up. But as long as these transplants, and I call them transplants, that ruined my hometown of the San Francisco Bay Area that had very nice people that have come in and started Twitter, Facebook, and all these companies and made millions, they control the tempo. And as long as they're in power and they control it, we're going to have this dilemma. So that's the first issue is how do we get that to to be resolved? And, uh, you know, I've always lived my life um, as a responsible individual. I've paid my taxes. But I think at this point, our freedom is on the line, just like you said. I'm not sure what we're going to do at this point to resolve the issues. And it's completely on. It's, it's regrettable that we have to go through that, but it is reality. And I don't know with the new age of the social uh, media and Internet, the considerable amount of power they have, along with Silicon Valley, that it's ever going to be resolved in my lifetime. Yeah, I I resonate with that. I think it's going to be an uphill battle. Uh, Mike, thanks for your call. Appreciate that. Uh, My computer just uh, went the way of the buffalo here. Hang on. Uh, Let me get it back. All right, Debbie from Stanislaus County. You got about a minute and a half. Debbie, you're on. It's all yours. Mike, I love you. I love what you do for this, this area. I mean, I don't know what I'd do without you. We're on the edge of a cliff. The man that said he wants and can't 
sue the federal government. That's our only alternative. Otherwise, we're going to have a civil war. And I've been saying this for years. Thank you for taking my call, and God bless you all. All right, Debbie, thank you very much. Well done, by the way. Concise, right on the money, and uh, allows me to uh, to get in a few extra comments here before uh, we have to sign off for the day. Debbie, thanks for the call. Appreciate that. Some great, great observations today. And again, you see, my friends, this is the value of us being able to discuss these things. You see things I may not. I may see things you do not. And by discussing them together, we're, we're able to discover some new nuggets that we need to think about. And that, that is the value of being live and local. And again, I know I've mentioned it before, but uh, appreciate so much iHeartMedia allowing us this time, 3 to 5, Monday through Friday. Appreciate our, our uh, main producer, Mike Murray. He is the best in the business, and I'm not just uh, throwing him accolades there. He is. I learn from him all the time. And our assistant producer, Brenda Lapome, also the director of operations of Advancing Vibrant communities we have a team here that is second to none and i may be the mouthpiece but it's the team that produces a wonderful show here and i thank them so much and you are part of that team thank you for participating and listening i'll see you back here tomorrow 3 to 5 p.m mike douglas show on power talk 1360 kfiv have a great night